When I was growing up, one of my most wonder-filled Christmas moments always happened just before midnight on Christmas Eve. After a long evening of getting ourselves ready for the big day, wrapping presents and hanging stockings and doing the family dinner, we would all pile into the car and head off to church to the 11 p.m. candlelight service. Now, something exciting about staying up that late, driving past all those lit-up houses on our way to church, knowing that on the way home from church, it would be Christmas Day. The sanctuary was always packed to the far corners of the balcony, six or seven hundred people. The music was always beautiful, even for a kid. The sermon was always short, even better for a kid. That worked. But the, the, the high point of the service, the climax, was always the, the candle lighting. The, the, the whole room would go dark except for the lone candle the pastor held. And then flame by flame, the the light would pass and spread across the entire room. And as the candles were being lit, the choir would come down out of the choir loft, 50 or 60 strong, and they would surround the entire sanctuary. And when all the candles were lit and the room was still, the choir would sing a cappella. Lo, how a rose e'er blooming from tender stem hath sprung. With Mary we behold it, the virgin mother and child. To show God's love aright, she bore to men a savior when half spent was the night. And in that moment, and in that stillness, I felt Christmas. All the beauty, all the belonging, all the mystery, all the goodness, and the wonder of what the next day was going to bring. When I got in my high school years, it became even more meaningful because then I joined the choir and and I helped to create that holy moment. And then as a college student, coming back after four months away, it was there at the candlelight service, sitting with my family, surrounded by my friends, that again, I felt like I was home and like it was Christmas. Chances are you have moments like that too, memories of a season in your life, maybe childhood, maybe some other time, when you felt the wonder and the beauty and the goodness of Christmas. Well, fast forward a handful of years to my first year as a pastor, my first Christmas as a pastor. I've told you before that was a very difficult year for me. It was a small church, so I was responsible for everything, all the services, all the events, all the teaching, all the everything. We had a handful of people, families going through real heartache and pain and and difficulty, and suddenly this season that I had always loved was filled with stress and with heartache. And we were young parents ourselves in a new town, in a new job, with no money to spend on the holidays. The only thing that was getting me through that first Christmas season was knowing that I could get back home to that candlelight service at 11 p.m. on Christmas Eve. So if I could just be there again, if I could be in that moment, it would feel like Christmas again. So Christmas Eve came, and uh, we first had to get through Christmas Eve in our own church. So I had suggested that we have a candlelight service, but I was told that we've never done it that way before. So we just had a simple service of carols and message, all of which was designed and delivered by me, of course. 
We finally said goodbye to the last person, last worshiper that evening. We threw ourselves and our overtired one-year-old into the car, made the delightful drive across the Cross Bronx Expressway to get up to my old hometown. I was pretty sure that we'd had a fight in the car on the way up, and I checked that with Karen this morning, and she assured me that, yes, indeed, we did have a fight in the car on the way up, and a pretty well-deserved one, as I understand it. We got to the service just in time for 11 o'clock, hurried in, found some seats, tried to look around for some connections, sat down, the music started, and I finally felt nothing. Nothing but weariness and loneliness and sadness. I nodded off all the way through that service, including the short sermon. By the time we got to the candle lighting, the only wonder left in me was wondering what happened to Christmas and would I ever feel it again. Now, chances are you've had moments like that too, when the Christmas you were longing for and hoping for, the Christmas you remembered just didn't happen. The details are probably different, but the narrative is the same because life has a way of beating the wonder out of Christmas. So we're talking about wonder this Christmas season. That's our theme. And just to set the record straight, we did not steal it from Macy's, okay? <laughs> we thought of this like back in August we came up with this theme. So we grabbed it first. Uh, Pastor Adam got us started last week introducing this series, and he invited us in this season to try to recapture, to try to reclaim some of that wonder that we felt probably as children, but that seems to elude us sometimes as adults. Wonder has a way of, of, of opening our eyes, waking us up to the world around us, to beauty and goodness and mystery and power. It opens our eyes to, 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 to God, to faith, to each other, to who we are and to what's happening in the world today. Wonder makes us curious. And so we're looking for ways in this Christmas season to, to follow the wonder and see where it might lead us. But where's the wonder when life isn't wonderful? When you've lost someone that you love? When you're far from home? When money is tight? When the family is not getting along? When health issues are robbing you of joy and strength and freedom? Where's the wonder when life isn't wonderful? That's what we're going to think about this morning as we go back again to the Christmas story. I'd like to take you back to a time when the people of God had lost their sense of wonder and where one married couple in particular had come to feel as though wonder had passed them by. It's the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and is found in the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. Let's just read and walk our way through the story here today. In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both well along in years. So we meet this nice couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. They both come from good and godly families. They have a worthy, noble profession. They're serving in the priesthood. 
They, they love God. They love their neighbors just as the law requires. They're living a wonderful life, except for one thing. They have been unable to have children. Now, that, that can be a painful reality for any couple in any time and in any culture. It was especially painful in that time and in that culture. Because to not have children was to, was to be a disgrace. It was, it was shameful. It was considered an abandonment by God. And so even though there was much that was good about their lives, the life they had dreamed of had never really materialized. And so in that respect, it reminds us of uh, another couple that we meet in that holiday classic film, It's a Wonderful Life. I watched it again this Thanksgiving with my parents, and I'd forgotten how long it is. <laughs> Very long film. George Bailey is a good man, and he is happily married to his sweetheart, an equally wonderful person named Mary. They have a humble home filled with happy children, an honorable profession, a fine reputation in the community. Looks like a wonderful life. But George's dreams of traveling the world and building bridges and skyscrapers and providing abundantly for his family, those dreams have never really materialized. And when a financial crisis hits that threatens to ruin him, life just doesn't feel wonderful anymore. And we get it. And that's probably why this film is such a timeless classic. Because there's not a one of us who hasn't had the wonder beaten out of us sometimes by circumstances, by grief, by disappointment, by stress, by loneliness, by hardship. And, and that's what had happened to Zechariah and Elizabeth as one childless year after another passed until they came to a point where they were well beyond the time in which they could be expecting any kind of happy news about something wonderful happening. So let's keep reading. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Now, as a priest, Zechariah would serve in the temple only twice a year for a period of two weeks. The rest of the year, he would live with his family out in, the, in the, a, vill a village somewhere outside of Jerusalem, and he would be the rabbi, the local teacher and leader of that community. So this is a very special time for him. Only one of two times a year, he gets to serve in the temple. And on this particular occasion, it's not only that opportunity, but he gets selected after decades of serving as a priest, he is finally selected to actually be the one who goes into the holy place and offers up prayers and incense on behalf of the nation. So this is a special moment. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that's about to get even more special. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Well, if ever there's a wonderful moment, I mean, this has to be it, right? 
a messenger from heaven in the holy place, talking face to face. We have to be careful when we read these stories of miracles and angels in the Bible because then we could be tempted to think, oh, they were used to that sort of thing back then. No, they weren't used to this sort of thing back then. These things did not happen. And as if the appearance of the angel isn't enough, he comes with this remarkable news. Your prayer has been heard. What, what prayer? The, the, the prayer he had just offered on behalf of the nation that God would finally come and deliver them from their enemies? Or was it a more personal prayer? The prayer that Zechariah might have prayed as he watched that incense rise to heaven and offered his own prayer as well for himself and for his wife Elizabeth that even in their old age, God might bless them with some comfort and with some joy. Well, it seems like both of these prayers had been heard because God was not only going to do something good for the nation, he was going to do something good for this couple. So if ever there's a wonderful moment, this should be it, right? But look how Zechariah responds. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Eugene Peterson captures the spirit of this, I think, in his translation when he puts it this way. Do you expect me to believe this? <laughs> and again, we can't really blame Zechariah for having a hard time believing this good news. I mean, he wasn't a rube. He knew where children, babies came from. And he knew they didn't typically come to couples as old as he and Elizabeth were. And he also knew how very long Israel had been waiting for God to hear their prayers. He knew it had been hundreds of years since they'd had any kind of a word from God like this. They had been under the thumb of one pagan empire after another. Babylon, and then Persia, and then Greece, and now Rome. As much as he would have liked to believe the angel's good news, he had a hard time getting there. But, but here's the thing I'd like us to notice. If there was anyone on earth who should have been open to the possibility of wonder, shouldn't it have been Zechariah? I mean, he's a priest. He's a man of God. And if there was any place on earth that should have been welcoming to a moment of wonder, shouldn't it have been that place, the holy place at the very center of the temple? And if ever there was a time that should have been filled with, ripe with wonder and mystery. Shouldn't it have been this moment as the angel brings this remarkable news to Zechariah? But, but Zechariah just can't get there. He couldn't embrace the moment. Life had beaten the wonder out of him. As I thought about that, it occurred to me that what, what's true of Zechariah it's probably true for many of us. It might especially be true for those of us who have been, have been believing for a long time, who've been following Christ for a long time, who've been praying for a long time, who've been showing up Sunday after Sunday and Christmas after Christmas, year after year. And it all becomes so familiar and it all becomes so predictable that the wonder can just kind of drift away. 
And we can lose our sense that God could do something remarkable. Sometimes, those of us who who ought to be most likely to believe can have a hardest time being open to the possibility of God showing up and doing a remarkable thing. Sometimes, even a pastor can sit in church on Christmas Eve and feel nothing. The story of Zechariah tells us that it's okay, that it happens to the best of us. What I like about Zechariah is that he's honest. He doesn't slip back into priest mode and come up with something spiritual to say in the moment. He doesn't pretend to believe something he's having a hard time believing. He doesn't pretend to feel something he's not really feeling. So it brings me back to our definition of wonder, the definition that scrolls by in our opening video. Let me remind you of it again. To wonder, according to one dictionary, is to be curious or to feel doubt. To be curious or to feel doubt. You see, wonder isn't about certainty. It's about possibility. It's not about answers. It's about questions. I wonder if there's more to life than meets the eye. I wonder if there really is a God who cares about me. I wonder if that God could still do something good in my life. Wonder isn't about certainty, it's about possibility. It's not about answers, it's about questions. So that's what Zechariah does. He asks a question. How can I be sure of this? As if he wants to believe, but he's having a hard time getting there. A hard time feeling that that something good can still happen for he and his wife and for his people after all these years. Well, look how the angel responds. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their proper time. One commentator imagines this this angel with his hands on his hips saying, listen here, old man, do you know who I am? And there seems to be a little of that kind of spirit here. But it occurred to me as I read through it this time that I wonder if we are misreading this story just a little bit. I mean, we tend to, we tend to read this and interpret the angel's response here as a rebuke and that the silence that's imposed is a sort of punishment for not believing. Uh, like, like, like the teacher who says to the student, makes the student write a hundred times, I will not question an angel, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and there does seem to be just a little bit of a rebuke here. But I also wonder if the silence wasn't a kind of a gift to Zechariah. As in, you're having a hard time believing this, Zechariah? I understand, so let me help you out. Let me give you a little sign. Let me give you a little time to think about all of this. You see, when you can't speak, all you can do is think. All you can do is imagine. All you can do is wonder. What's happening to me? What does it mean? Where is it leading? When you're silent, 
You're alone with your thoughts and your dreams and your doubts. Could it be that this was a gift? I was chatting about this with someone after the first service, and I said, you know, as, as a preacher, as someone who, like Zechariah was, as someone who gets paid to talk, to, to not talk for nine months, it's not a bad thing, maybe. <laughs> That's a nice little break. I don't have to come up with anything to say. I just get to think. So, so Zechariah gives this, the angel gives Zechariah this gift of silence. And Luke tells us, when his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, and for five months, they remained in seclusion. I wonder if we could all use with a bit more silence in our lives. All the experts tell us, the psychologists, the neurologists, they all tell us that, that our lives are too noisy, that our minds are assaulted 24-7 with music and news feeds and podcasts and the latest viral videos, that our brains never shut off, that there's no white space for us to be creative, to use our imagination. No wonder we don't wonder. There's no time. There's no space. So what would it look like to give ourselves the gift of silence, of solitude, this Christmas season? Now I know, most of us can't get away with not talking for the next 17 days. But what would it look like to find some moments of silence and stillness? How about the next time you hear a Christmas carol playing on the radio in the car or when you're out at the mall, instead of just humming along mindlessly, Stop for a moment and think about the words that are coming to mind. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Joy. Don't we all want some more joy in our lives? To the world, to every person, every human being, every nation, the Lord has come. He's here, He's with us. Help is not on the way, help has already arrived. Just try it. Pause and think for just a moment. Next time you hear that Christmas carol playing, imagine an angel with his hand on his hip saying, listen up, old man or young man. How about the next time you get a Christmas card from someone? Instead of just rushing past the artwork and the sentiment to get to the newsy part about your friends or your family, how about lingering over whatever scene is on that card? Maybe it's a snowy woods or a starry night or a, a humble manger. Just imagine yourself in that scene for a moment. What would it feel like to be there, the beauty, the wonder, the stillness? And then thank God for that momentary respite in a busy day. And offer a prayer of thanks for that friend or family member and maybe a prayer for God to bless them along the way. How about on your way out of services today? Stop in the hallway and take a look at some of those luminaria that are lighting the hallways. Every one of them handmade by one of the kids in our kids' town. Stop and look at one or two and three. Think about the message there. Pray for that little child who created that for us to enjoy. How about tonight at the dinner table, lighting a candle, whether it's part of an Advent wreath or not? And reread the story from Luke chapter 1 and just think and talk about it a little bit. When was your wonderful Christmas moment? What do you wonder about? Where do you doubt? 
As you make your plans for Christmas Eve, don't just decide which service you're going to attend. Take another moment and ask the Lord who he might have you to invite. It's going to be a beautiful service. You're going to wish you had people you love sitting alongside you that night. How about before you go to bed at night? Just stand in front of the Christmas tree for 60 seconds. Step outside and look up at the stars. And just feel whatever you're feeling in that moment, whether it's wonder or weariness. And ask the Lord to meet you there in that moment, in that silence and stillness. Because that's what the Lord did for Zechariah and Elizabeth. He met them in those months of silence and solitude. Elizabeth came to it first, verse 25. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Seems like it took Zechariah a little longer to get there. We have to get all the way to the birth of his child, to the very naming of that child in this ceremony to find out what's happening in his heart. Let's pick up the story at verse 60. The people are expecting them to name the child after his father. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to the father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak, praising God. Something happened to Zechariah in those nine months. God met him in the silence. His doubt and his wondering led him to a deeper, stronger faith. And that's how wonder works. Adam explained it for us last week. Wonder leads to curiosity. Curiosity leads to learning. Learning leads to growth. Zechariah grew in faith and stature after a lifetime of serving God and teaching others about God. He comes to a new understanding of who God is and what God can do. And all he could do was wonder. After all those years of waiting and wondering, is God really there? Does God hear our prayers? Can God still do something? Zechariah and Elizabeth discover that God was there and that he could do something. Now, did that erase all those years of heartache and loneliness? No, it didn't. And did it mean that life was going to be a cakewalk from here on out? No, it didn't. They were going to become parents in their 50s or their 60s or who knows what else. And this child they brought into the world was going to die an untimely death. It wasn't what they were expecting. It wasn't the life they asked for. But God could still do something wonderful in them and through them. Not just for them, but, but for their people, for the world. We're told that the neighbors were all filled with awe. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? Don't you see it? The whole town has a wonderful moment at the birth of this child. So what's our takeaway from this simple, familiar story? How about this? When life isn't wonderful, God still works wonders. When life isn't wonderful, God still works wonders. I mean, life isn't always wonderful. We all know that. Zechariah and Elizabeth knew that. Life isn't always wonderful. God never promised that it would be. What he promised is that he would be with us 
and that he would do something good with whatever life throws our way. When life isn't wonderful, God can still work wonders. And I think that's the message we all need. Because we all have prayers that we've prayed for a long time that still don't seem to be answered. We all have long-standing hurts and heartaches that, that don't just go away with the passing of time. We all know how life has a way, the ordinariness, the everyday, the predictability of it. We know that life has a way of, of beating the wonder out of us. But then Christmas comes around and it reminds us of a time when angels appeared to people. When an old woman conceived and then a young virgin too. A time when a star shone in the heavens. When shepherds became very important people and when very important people bowed down to worship a child. Reminds us of a time when God showed up in the most unlikely and unholy of places. When life isn't wonderful, God can still work wonders. Are you open to that possibility this Christmas? That God can do something new and good and surprising in your life, whatever kind of season you might be in. I had a conversation this week with a longtime member of our Grace Chapel family, Rosemary. Now, Rosemary has been physically challenged her entire life. And she has overcome more obstacles in her wheelchair than I possibly have time to tell you about here today. Some of you know her. She has occasionally danced here in her wheelchair during a time of worship. Well, she had a real health scare this past week and almost didn't make it. But, but she pulled through and she came back home again just the other night. As we talked, she told me some stories. She told me the story about when her daughter was born. The daughter, the doctors told her she could never have. She nearly died giving birth and spent four months on life support to the point where they were preparing to take her child away. But she woke up just in time and took that child home and raised her. That was many years ago. That daughter's now married and has a family of her own. And they're all coming over to Rosemary's apartment today to celebrate Rosemary's 71st birthday. Isn't God amazing, she said to me on the phone the other night, with as much strength and brightness in her voice as I've heard in a long time. Now understand, life has not been wonderful for Rosemary, and it's not so wonderful even right now in many ways, but God is doing wonderful things in and around her to the point where she can say, isn't God amazing? What wonderful thing might God want to do in your heart, in your life, this Christmas season? Uh, we never got back to George Bailey and his not-so-wonderful life. Maybe we will later in the series. In the meantime, maybe you want to watch the film if you have three hours or so. <laughs> Go ahead and do that. But let me take you back to my first Christmas as a pastor. Like I said, it wasn't a wonderful experience. That night, I had to face the fact that a chapter of my life was over. I was a full-fledged grown-up now. 
And I wondered if Christmas would ever feel the same again. Well, a year later, of course, Christmas came around again. And I told our church, our new church, we're having a candlelight service. <laughs> and we did. We didn't have a 60-voice choir to surround the sanctuary, but a dozen or so of us sang, Lo, how a rose air blooming. And then I got to stand on the platform and watch as candlelight was passed around the room, one by one, illumining the faces of people I had come to know and love in my year and a half at that church. And it felt like Christmas. And it felt like home. And for 35 years since, some of my most wonder-filled moments happened right here on this platform. As every Christmas Eve, I watch light spread around the room and illumine the faces of people I love and God loves. People in whose lives God is doing a wonderful thing through all kinds of seasons, including the faces of my own family when they're all here. And it feels like Christmas, and it feels like home. What wonderful thing might God want to do in our lives, in our congregation this Christmas season? Will we be open to it? Will we quiet ourselves? Will we find time and space to allow God to meet us in new and surprising ways? We'd like to give ourselves a moment to do that even as we finish here today. So I'm going to pray here in a moment and then as we release to our campuses, on all of our campuses, we're just going to enjoy 60 seconds of silence for us to ask God to come into this space and do something new and wonderful in our lives this season. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for this story, familiar to many of us, so real, so down to earth. Thank you for the way this story finds us, even though we've heard it so many, many times. Thank you for the way your spirit finds us here today at whatever season of life we might find ourselves in. Lord, we are grateful for this time of year, even with all its challenges and its stresses. And we want to be open to the possibility of what you might want to do in our hearts and the hearts of those we love and those who might come and worship with us in these days to come. So in these next few minutes, we simply quiet our minds and hearts and invite you into this space, into our community, into our homes with expectancy in Jesus' name. Amen.